Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers Podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPO pod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by Bioptimizer's Breakthrough Magnesium. Magnesium is responsible for powering over 300 critical reactions, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, even digestion is influenced by the presence of magnesium. It has been estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient in magnesium. Often, people don't recognize that there are at least seven types of magnesium. Most magnesium supplements contain one or two forms of these seven types. Bioptimizers has formulated their magnesium supplement to contain all seven forms of magnesium. Breakthrough Magnesium has a select packages available for up to 40% off when combined with our custom 10% discount code, which will be activated by entering the coupon code HUMAN10 when you head over to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash human. All links and codes will be included in the show notes. Now, on to the next topic. All right, folks, uh, welcome to this episode of Human Performance Outliers podcast. I've uh, got a few kind of announcements to make uh, to kind of kick things off, and then we'll, we'll dive into some stuff uh, from the episode. But um, Dr. Sean Baker, co-host, is actually going to be taking some time away from the podcast as his MeetRx platform has been uh, doing quite well, and uh, he's just been spending a lot of time and energy doing that doing all his other stuff with his family and his training, all that stuff. And it's just been a little, little difficult kind of trying to match both of our schedules. We both kind of stay pretty busy outside of the podcast itself. And um, as a, as a good friend of Sean's, I'm super excited that his, his platform over there has been taking off to the point where he needs to focus a little more time and energy on that and see where that goes. So, uh, you know, definitely I'll be following along with him and his stuff and, uh, you know, hopefully we can, we can get them back on the show from time to time down the road as well. Cause I know a lot of listeners are here because of Sean or maybe solely due to Sean. So uh, don't, don't feel too bad. He'll have plenty of content for you, I think over on his stuff. And uh, for now, it'll be me leading the show solo as the host. So I want to give you guys just a little bit of a breakdown of kind of what direction I kind of want to take things or where we're going to head, at least in the, the immediate future. And, uh, you know, one thing I really do like about this podcast is we've had some pretty cool guests with, uh, you know, great educational backgrounds, a lot of PhDs, MDs, and folks who can really kind of speak to a lot of some of this stuff in a certainly more detail than I can. Uh, so we'll, I'm going to continue to reach out to those type of folks. I'm still going to try to make this podcast guest centric. So the majority of the episodes that I'll probably be doing will be 
uh, one-on-one interviews for the exception of maybe if we have like a dual guest in, which would be, you know, one to two or three people on. Uh, so still definitely gonna be going to that, uh, to give you a bit of a look at what's kind of coming up. Uh, we do have some, some guests scheduled to come on, including Rob Wolf. Uh, Rob was actually on the show once before. So he's coming back on to chat about kind of what he's been up to and, uh, anything and everything. So, uh, that, that episode is, uh, going to be recorded after this is released. So, if you have a particular question for Rob you'd like me to ask, shoot that over as soon as you can because uh, we'll pro- I'll probably release this episode you know, a week or so before I'll record with him. So if you can get it in quick, then uh, there's a chance I'll be able to answer your questions for him. Uh, another exciting guest that we got coming up is Dave Scott. And Dave Scott, if you're not familiar, is a six-time Ironman world champion. Uh, he has been a fixture in the sport of triathlon for quite some time. And he is actually a uh, advocate of a high fat, low carb diet for endurance sport. So Dave's going to come in and probably chat a bit about kind of what he did when he was a professional athlete and why he's kind of switched from your more traditional moderate to high carbohydrate diet for endurance towards kind of favoring a high fat, low carb approach. And we'll kind of ask him how he, how he's, constructing that for his own uses in retirement because uh, he's still an active guy, still very fit um, and how he's using that with his coaching clients. I mean, Dave Scott's a sought after coach in the triathlon market. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be excited to hear like kind of how he's using these principles to help the folks that he's working with in the swimming and the biking and the running to kind of tie together that, that multidimensional sport um, another person that we have scheduled that I'm really excited to have come on is Steve Tashian. I think I'm pronouncing his last name right. If not, uh, I'll get it right on the episode. Uh, but the reason Steve is interesting, and we were actually going to record with him a while back and we had some scheduling stuff fall through, but Steve is a, a high performance director at the Columbus crew. So he works with professional soccer players. And he has done a lot of work with his players in a high fat, low carb realm for soccer. And the reason I'm excited about that is because I think soccer is just this like interesting sport in the sense that like your energy usage is, is a pretty wide spectrum. Like you have to be pretty aerobically sound because, you know, some of these like midfielders are running, you know, five to seven miles a game. Uh, so they're just constantly moving, but they're also required to do these big fast bursts. You know, if they have like a break in a play or something, they have to sprint. So you end up hitting so many different kind of systems within a sport like that. Like, I just want to hear a little more about kind of like what they're doing in training kind of off season to kind of prepare both physically and nutritionally what they're doing during kind of the preseason buildup before like matches begin and then what they're doing in season and, and if you guys are a little antsy and want to hear what Steve has to say, he does have some videos out there. I think he actually uh, presented at Ohio State under uh, one of the things that Volick, Dr. Volick had been doing um, or putting together. So he's got some stuff out there if you want to do a little homework before we interview him. And, uh, and if you have specific questions you'd like to hear from Steve, uh, please send those over as well as this one may go up before I record with him too. Um, you know, a couple interesting things that I think he's documented that I want to ask about is uh, he's looked at kind of 
like whole team adoption versus individual player. Because I think it's one thing, you know, you have a, a sport where you have 11 people on the field from your team. It's one thing to have that set up and have one or two of your players be kind of a high fat, low carb, and the rest kind of following a more traditional, like moderate to high carbohydrate approach. But one thing Steve mentioned was that his, his move is kind of get to get wide scale buy-in with his team. So it's, it's more of a, like, let's do this as a group versus let's kind of each do our own thing. So I'm kind of excited to see kind of how full team adapt- adaptations to this have, have re- what they've resulted in. I know he's done some, some anecdotal work with the players, like reporting on kind of like their recovery time. Uh, he's tracked stats like injury rates and things like that for his teams that were historically higher carb and now lower carb. And he's, so he's got some pretty cool info on his, his groups there that I think he'll want to share. And I'm definitely going to want to ask about. So I'm um, very excited about those three guests. Uh, with that said, in general, if there are guests you'd like to see come on and interviewed, definitely shoot me a note for those. So you can reach out to me on my social medias or on uh, you know, the email for the show, all that stuff's in the show notes. But yeah, if you have topics, guests, questions, ideas, definitely send them over. I'll be uh, diving into that a little more aggressively than normal now that I'll be solo hosting just because I want to try to make sure that the folks who've been with us for this, this, this ride will stick around uh, and keep, keep tuning in. So if you have people that you think would be, be a great listen or ideas and topics, definitely send them over and I'll see, see what I can do there. Um, for the show Patreon page, uh, I did adjust some things to kind of give some different entry points and things like that. One other thing I'm planning on doing going forward is doing some Patreon exclusive stuff. Uh, to date, really, our Patreon page has just been like, our generous listeners donating what they can. And there's some early release episode stuff. If you donate $5 or more per month um, and some extra perks, but the majority of it was, is just, you know, people saying, Hey, we enjoy this content. This is what I can afford to give you. Uh, I'm going to be looking to kind of give back a little more to the Patreon moving forward with that, with some exclusive stuff outside of just the early release episodes, the front of the line questions and things like that. Uh, Those aspects will likely remain, but uh, I want to make sure that folks who are you know, donating their hard money are getting stuff in return too. So uh, that may be, I, I'm, I'm leaning towards doing some, some live streams on Patreon where you can come in, ask questions, chat, uh, as well as just putting up some, some Patreon exclusive type things uh, where, where folks who donate are able to see that and it'll be theirs, theirs to, to, to use. Um, let's see. So, you know, I was actually looking over kind of like just the catalog of, of episodes. I think we have 200 and this will be the 208th episode, I believe, if it falls where I believe it will in our timelines. So we have 207 episodes. I was just looking back and just, just getting an idea or a feel or reminding myself of just like kind of what directions we've gone. Because I think when Sean and I started this podcast, we didn't know for sure what direction we we're going to go. In fact, our first few episodes we recorded together. And I think our assumption was we were going to do a lot of just him and I chatting about stuff and uh, not as guest centric. And we ended up kind of hitting a stride pretty early with some exciting guests that we liked. So we kept, kept getting them and kept going that route. So um, it, uh, it, it's definitely an aspect to the show that I want to keep, keep moving forward. So we've had a lot of folks on from like the strength world, a lot of folks on from the high fat, low carb world for both health and performance you know, we've had some of the carnivore uh, end of one story 
people come in and tell about their stuff as well as some, some researchers in nutrition who are intrigued by like, you know, what is the carnivore diet? Like how are people using it? What's its, its longevity? What's its efficacy and everything in between. And I think, I think that's a cool topic. I think it's something that's kind of new ish to uh, the nutrition world. So it's definitely a line. I, I definitely don't mind following, even though I'm not quite strict carnivore as Sean is. Uh, but um, it'll be interesting to kind of see how all that stuff plays out as we kind of, as Sean specifically, you know, keeps kind of pushing, pushing that line of thinking and what, you know, what we can learn from that from an academic standpoint as we move forward. Uh, you know, we've got endurance athletes on and things like that. I think uh, we'll probably see like a little more mix of that coming up just because a lot of my contacts contacts tend to be in the world of endurance although I definitely won't become an endurance focused podcast the way I look at it is you know being a professional endurance athlete a coach and you know working on the marketing teams for some of my sponsors and things like that you know I get a lot of running related activity and stuff in my day-to-day life so I don't necessarily want this podcast to just become another another item in that pile. So I will have on endurance athletes. I will have on, you know, folks like, like Dave Scott and uh, you know, other endurance athletes and coaches and professionals within that world from time to time, but it won't be something that sticks out as kind of the primary focus of this, of this particular podcast. Cause I do want to make sure that it remains appealing to people who do not care too much to run <laughs> certainly ultra marathons. Um, and, and I like it as an outlet to kind of get away from that to a degree as well and, and, and take a look into other things. Like some of my favorite podcasts are actually with some of the strength athletes, some of the, the power lifters, bodybuilder type folks who are kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum from me, the explosive sport people, um, you know, the, the, certainly the PhDs that we've done some deep dives with, like the protein researchers and things like that. Those have all been really cool uh, episodes that I pull from a lot. So I think we'll, we'll, keep going down that route. Um, the other thing that I noticed that I thought was really interesting is we did, we did quite a bit with just like agriculture type stuff, both conventional and kind of holistic. I think, uh, we, we've done some pretty deep dives into, uh, you know, both those categories within uh, the animal agriculture world. I think that's something I'm still interested in. I still feel like there's some answers that, that we can answer as a, as a society in terms of how we use animal agriculture and things like that. So uh, as people present themselves and as, uh, you know, former guests and things reach out with new information, things like that, I'd love to kind of continue, continue that, that line, line as well um, as we move forward. So uh, let's see. Um, a couple of things too, and I would love the feedback from anyone willing to shoot me a note is, uh, some stuff that you'd like to hear from me personally, um, obviously send over guest recommendations, ideas, and topics and things like that as mentioned. But if there's anything specific, you'd like me to do a deep dive in and with my own training, my own nutrition and that sort of stuff, let me know where you're thinking about that and what you'd like to hear. Uh, I've got a lot of content out outside of this podcast so I think historically, maybe sometimes I've hesitated to do deep dives into that on here, just because I know that information can be found for folks who are looking for it. And, uh, you know, but if that's something that people really want to hear, if we want to kind of consolidate a lot of that, and I'll do an episode where I break down kind of exactly how I train for a specific event, like where I'm putting certain workouts and why, how I'm assessing their quality and my response to them. 
and then where I'm tying in nutrition with those different kind of training systems that I go through throughout the course of a season and things like that. I can definitely put that together if that's something enough people are interested in. So shoot me a note if you think that you'd like to see something like that and I'll, I'll put it together if, if it is interesting enough to enough of the people who are tuning into the show. Um, let's see. Uh, in terms of stuff that I have at the moment is I do have some questions that have kind of come in over the last couple of weeks that I want to quick touch on with this particular episode so that folks who sent in those questions can, can uh, hear my response to them. And I'll go through some of that right now and that will kind of tie out this uh this episode uh for the show so um one of the one of the questions that i've been getting a lot more recently i would say is just what strength work do you do um you know some folks i think assume i don't do any strength work and that makes sense i guess in my mind because like i'm running 100 mile races like you don't envision that individual probably being in the gym, pulling heavy weight off the floor and that sort of stuff. And it's certainly not the primary focus of my, of my training, but I do implement strength work. I think at this point, the research for endurance athletes and strength work is very compelling. And there's very few situations in which I would eliminate it from my own training and very few situations in which I would not advocate for it to be implemented in my coaching clients training. So there are some situations like, you know, people are complex. So if it's something where, you know, historically they don't have a background in it and they're a little afraid of it, I'm not going to like jam it down their throat out the gate, especially if they came to me to be, to learn more about coaching methodology and training things and that sort of stuff. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll remind folks that are not interested that what are some of the benefits and things like that. You know, other folks are, if they've gotten injured historically doing that sort of stuff, sometimes that can be a little bit of a, a touchy area since it is a, it isn't a primary training focus. Uh, I do have to weigh risk reward with that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'm always weighing that with, with even running related specific workouts, you know, certain clients respond better to certain intensities and things like that. Some have an injury history when they do certain workouts or hit certain volume thresholds and things like that. So these are all things I consider at the individual level when working with folks and with myself, but um, strength training in general is part of the program. In my opinion, the way it's done, I think is the one thing that I think catches people with the most surprise. And that's like, well, what type of strength training are you doing? I think they envision, uh, you know, this, uh, these runners in there in their short shorts and spandex over on the, on the, on the mat doing like uh, body weight sit-ups and things like that and avoiding any of the weights and staying away from the heavy stuff. But it's really actually kind of the opposite of that in practice in terms of where the, the research has the, the strength training programs for endurance athletes. Like some of the exercises that I find the most beneficial and has the most uh, research behind it, I think would be things like deadlifts, um, squats, uh, things that are going to engage those, those big muscle groups in a uniform fashion. Uh, box jumps are another one that I'll do from time to time. Uh, you know, right now it's kind of goofy with the gyms being closed, but uh, generally speaking, like, you know, I'll do like squats, pulling squats and deadlifts. Deadlifts are probably the big one that I'm doing more year round or more routinely. And when I'm not at a gym and have access to that, I'll kind of supplement that with uh, that X3 bar. If you're interested in that, um, we had a guest on 
probably over a year ago at this point, uh, Dr. John Jakish, and he made this, this heavy resistance band, uh, you know, platform where it's essentially a plank that you have this really, really, really heavily resisted band. I think they can go up to like 600, 700 pounds of resistance or something like that. I don't use the 607 pound resistance ones, <laughs> but I'm sure Sean does. And I'm sure Dr. Jakish does. So uh, um, I'll use that for kind of like to, to supplement deadlifts and things like that when I'm not able to get to the gym. Another big one I like is kettlebell swings. Uh, I think that one engages just a lot of the moving parts that you're going to use in running and just kind of helps uh, build that overall strength and things like that. So um, things I'm focusing on with these type of strength workouts are just like developing like running economy. Um, you know, I think it helps with injury prevention and imbalances. Running can be a sport that creates a lot of imbalances since you, a lot of times, especially if you're doing flat, hard surface running, like I've done most of historically, you can find yourself in a position where you're developing certain areas and underdeveloping others and having certain parts atrophy while others overdevelop or get overused and things like that. So I think the strength building when you're using these big movers, like the squats, deadlifts, kettlebell swings, that sort of stuff can be very useful in kind of keeping that balance there and preventing injury from overuse injuries and imbalances and things down the road. Um, but ultimately, you know, also strength, strength training is a great power weight ratio tool. Uh, you know, you're developing, you're building lean mass by doing it and you're, you're creating a metabolic response that is going to improve lean or body fat rates. And when you're an endurance runner like myself, you don't want to get too uh, fixated on like a weight on a scale, but you know, there is probably for each individual, it's going to be different, but there is usually a kind of a, a range of the sweet spot where your power weight ratio is going to be at its finest for you as the individual and strength training, I think can aid in that and in, in it getting to that when, when race season kind of comes around. Uh, some of the other stuff that I'll do to kind of supplement those, those major ones for the lower leg stuff is some core work that I'll use like resistance stuff. I'll do a lot of kind of like uh, resistant resistance core work, whether that be like um, leg lifts on the ground, if I'm going to do it with no tack. Uh, when I do go to the gym, I'll use like the cable machines and things to do different, like different core activated ranges of motion and things to keep that strong. Um, so that's something I'll focus on for upper body stuff, you know, mostly like kind of like pull-ups and lateral pull type like things that I'm going to be doing for that. And, and those are a little less, less routine for me, but I'll do them. I'll do them, uh, you know, once a week or so when I'm kind of in, in the strength training phase of things like that. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the way I look at it in terms of like frequencies and, uh, volume or rep ranges. The way I kind of do it is like when I'm in base training before I'm kind of getting into the specific program, that's going to be catered to the event I'm training. I'll usually do something where it's like up to five sets with rep ranges, sometimes up to 10. But as I kind of move into the schedule, I'm actually lowering my, my total reps and things like that. So then as I move into a phase of training where I'm doing like short intervals, longer intervals, what you call like a tempo run or a lactic threshold type of an activity, uh, I'm moving into kind of like more closer to a five rep range. So a little more, a little heavier, a few, few less reps. Uh, and then when I get even closer, when I'm just doing kind of like really developing my race specific training, so doing a lot more long runs, more volume, less intensity, I'll lower that rep down even further to maybe three reps and things like that. Obviously kettlebells and the core stuff is going to be a little different, but those are more specifically going to be angled towards 
kind of like the squats, deadlifts, lunges or weighted lunge type stuff um, that I'm going to be doing for the lower leg side of things. So that's my take on strength. That's how I use strength. Um, another question is uh, what speed, what does speed work look like for you for a hundred mile runner? Cause I think, uh, you know, this, I always get a kick out of this one because uh, people think of ultra runners or even runners in general. I think a lot of times they just picture this person going out for like a, like a run every morning and they're not really paying attention to pace, just going out and running they're, they're It's cardio, right? It's just this cardio um, development and there's really no focus on strength. There's no focus on like speed development, things like that. And there's certainly tons of people out there that are just doing that. They're just out there. I'm um, just going to burn some calories so I can eat more or burn some calories. so I can lose some weight. And that's kind of their, their end game. But usually when folks are actually training to develop their ability to run an endurance event, they're going to go through like a variety of different workouts. And for me, it comes down to like, you want to kind of know what event you're training for. So you have that order of operations correctly. And the way I, a lot of times structure my speed work is I'm looking just in general for my plan to put the most specific things to what I'm going to be doing from a race day intensity and race day environment closer to the race itself and the things that are least specific earlier in the plan. So I'm kind of moving from least specific to most specific throughout the course of the plan. Since I am running hundred miles, that means least specific stuff tends to be short intervals. Some things we call like a VO two max system of training. So a lot of times speed work and that can look like, um, you know, sometimes I'll start out with some very short intervals just to kind of like, uh, get things started, kind of get my system reused to that type of training again, since it is earlier in my plan. Typically it's something I want to be mindful of that. I don't go out and push too hard and anyone, uh, early workout and find myself injured and not be able to run at all. So sometimes I'll start really short with like even 60 second intervals, um, 90 second intervals, that sort of thing, just to kind of get things started. You know, sometimes I'll even do them on an uphill incline just to reduce the amount of uh, impact that I'm generating to kind of avoid potentially getting myself in a, a bit of a bit, a bit of an injury risk or something like that, or just lower that injury risk. But, but ultimately I'm eventually targeting kind of a range between two to four minutes for these short intervals uh, mostly just because a lot of the research with like VO2 max development recognizes that kind of being as a sweet spot where you're able to compile the most volume at that system. So when you start branching past four minutes, then you start kind of taking volume off the table because any one interval is a little too long and a little too taxing from a duration standpoint. And when you go under two minutes, you're just spending more time getting into that system, uh, we're not spending more time, but the time it takes to get into that system means like you're taking some potential volume off the table because you're stopping before, uh, before the sweet spot would be. So when I'm doing these short intervals, I'm eventually working to two to four minutes. I like three minutes because it's a sweet spot. So it might look like, um, say five by three minutes with a three minute recovery jog in between. I like the one-to-one rest to work ratio when we're targeting these short interval sessions. And my goal though, during that part of the training is I'm going to basically be trying to add volume at that system each week as I'm building up and I'm kind of targeting between say 20 to 30 minutes total volume in a week. So it's, it's pretty rare that I'll do all of that in one workout. So like, I won't probably do a 10 by three minute on too many occasions to get 30 minutes total volume. I'd more likely do a five by three one day and a five by three another day. And then it's just a question if I want to block them together on back-to-back days, or if I want to you know, kind of do a hard, easy, hard approach where I do one, then do an easy day the next day and then do it again. Um, so like in terms of what folks are thinking of that are not endurance athletes, that's probably the, 
the, what they would think of as speed work. Um, I'm also doing things that would be considered kind of like your lactic threshold system, which is essentially an intensity you could sustain for about 60 minutes all out if you're to do a time trial. Uh, and that one is, uh, tends to be longer intervals, like eight to 12 minutes or steady, like tempo runs of 20 to 30 minutes or so. And, uh, you know, that that's kind of the other speed component that I'll add in. That's, that's outside of a pure focus of aerobic development or a pure focus of just race day intensity development that I moved to kind of later in the plan. Um, so like I said earlier, I mean, we can do a deeper dive into that sort of stuff. People are, are interested, but uh, that's kind of my general my general take on speed and kind of how I implement it in a kind of a, a general sense, I guess. Uh, the, the last question I have for today, and this one I find really interesting because I think sometimes people confuse a little bit about kind of how I view carbohydrates or how I use carbohydrates. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's, it's partly my fault because like I'm using them differently depending on what time of year it is. So since my lifestyle changes drastically, um, sometimes from week to week due to the nature of the sport I'm doing, you know, I have days or weeks sometimes where I'm not running at all in an off season. And then I have parts of the year where I'm running, you know, 150 miles in a week or training 20 hours and things like that. So like my energy demands in general, or my nutritional demands in general are quite drastically different during certain phases of the years to the other. So the question that related to this that I found interesting was like, how did you come up with your race state? fueling strategy? Because I think if folks who have listened to me talk about this in the past, uh, will think of like, they'll, they'll recognize a lot of times I'm talking about, like, I'm usually targeting say 40 grams of carbohydrate per hour on, on a race day, a goal race day, where it's the race I've been trying to peak for, for the last four, maybe six months. And they want to know like, well, where did you come up with that 40 gram number? Why 40 grams? Why not zero grams? Why not hundred grams? You know, why not somewhere in between? Um, so this is kind of an individual thing. So if you're really interested in this topic and you have it, I would suggest listening to our interview with Dr. Dan Plews, because he talks about this concept in endurance sport, where regardless of your diet, whether you're zero carb, keto, high fat, low carb, moderate carb, high carb, vegan, whatever it is you are, um, your goal on race day essentially is to defend muscle glycogen to the degree that when you get to the end of the race, your body isn't fighting itself to find the required energy to push hard towards the finish. So a good scenario would be you get your, find yourself like in the final 20 miles of a hundred mile race, feeling like you have the gears available to you to really push hard home versus fade away. And a big component of that is defending your muscle glycogen because uh, your body is going to try to downregulate your, your speed and your intensity. If you find yourself in a position where you've depleted your muscle glycogen enough that it's starting to try to defend that by slowing you down because it's not bringing anything in. So how you defend your muscle glycogen is the big question of like, what should you do? So like the high fat moderate, or I'm sorry, the high carb, moderate carb group says, what you need to train your gut. You need to be pounding these carbohydrates day in and day out. You need to be doing them on your training runs. You need to be doing them on your long runs. You need to get yourself ready to be like taking in, you know, sometimes upwards of 400 calories per hour. And that's going to be how you defend your, your muscle glycogen. You're going to get in so much food during the event itself that between your body's burning fat and carbohydrate. There's enough coming in to replace what's going out from the carbohydrate arm of that, that you'll find yourself at the end of that race feeling strong enough to push in versus fade. And that works for some people. Um, it, works, it works for people. That's, you know, that's why some folks do it. Uh, it doesn't for others though. So um, 
Another way to defend muscle glycogen is going to be to improve your ratios of fat to carbohydrate metabolism at the intensity at which you're going to race. And that's kind of the angle I've taken. So I haven't done that to the degree where I will be burning the most amount of fat uh, I could possibly. I mean, the way to do that would be to uh, essentially eat no carbohydrates. Um, but that comes with a trade-off as well. If you take all the carbohydrates out of your diet, you're limiting the amount that you're probably going to be able to tolerate. So if you're planning on eating during the event, uh, you're going to want to have some carbohydrate in your nutrition in order for your body to be used to kind of using that as an exogenous source. So the way I like to describe it is I want to get fat adapted enough so that I can get away with a small enough amount of fuel per hour that I don't risk stomach digestion issues um, or just digestion issues in general, um, but not so much that I'm also compromising, like being able to kind of utilize carbohydrates as a quick energy source on race day. So I'm usually hitting 40 grams per hour on a key race. And one of the reasons I'm targeting that is if you think of 40 grams per hour, we're looking at roughly 160 calories of carbohydrate intake um, per hour. And the reason I'm using 40 grams too, is that's about what I hit when I was at the Pettit center and broke the hundred mile world record and 12 hour world record. Uh, in that race, I negative split. I was running my fastest miles at the end. So it's just the cleanest example that I have of like muscle glycogen defense. Um, how I came to that number in the first place, why I used that strategy uh, was a lot based on just like some tests I've had done in the lab. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm due for a new one and I'm, I'm going to be getting another one at some point in time. It's, I was supposed to do it like months ago, but then with all the COVID-19 stuff, like it's just not hard and, and or it's, it's, it's difficult to find places that are going to take you at this point in time. So uh, once that opens stuff opens back up, I'll get in there and get a new set of numbers and find out if anything's changed since last time. But the numbers I've been working off is, uh, you know, I did, I did a test and I at, at 156 beats per minute, which for me is right almost exactly at my aerobic threshold. I'm burning 84 to 88% um, fat and 12 to 16% carbohydrate. So if we look at the, the fat metabolism part is an interesting part, but it's, it's kind of irrelevant to this piece to the discussion, just because like body or fat metabolism during a race, even the length that I'm doing is kind of a, a non-issue in terms of race day logistics, because even the leanest endurance athletes on the planet have enough body fat to get them through the event they're trying to do. If it's a single day event, so if I burn more body fat than I would like during an event, I can easily replace that post event. I don't have to worry about doing that during an event. There's definitely some use to having a little bit of fat and a little bit of protein with your fueling strategy on race day, just because um, I think it helps aid in the digestion when you're taking in concentrated, like pure carbohydrate sources, then, um, you know, you can run yourself into a little bit of an increased risk of some having some digestive issues. So really small amounts are all that it takes, like, you know, a few grams of fat and a few grams of protein for like, you know, every 20 grams of carbohydrate is, is perfectly reasonable. Um, but the carbohydrate side is the one we want to focus on for this. So if I'm burning 12 to 16%, uh, from carbohydrate, what we're looking at there is roughly 108 to 144 calories per hour that I am going to hit if I'm burning 900 calories per hour. 
So I came up with 900 calories per hour for this particular example, because if you look at my race at the Pettit Center, I averaged 648 per mile. So that's almost exactly nine miles per hour, a little bit slower, um, but uh, close enough that it, it makes it a nice clean estimate. And at 900 calories per hour, I'm looking at 108 to 144 calories. So um, 160 or 40 grams is going to be enough to, to account for that. Um, and leave me with intact muscle glycogen, assuming things happen on, on, in, on the field the same way as they do in paper. Thankfully for me, they did at the Pettit Center. So that ended up being uh, enough to have me running my fastest miles at the end versus uh, fading out. Uh, but when people ask, like, well, why not target exactly 144? Or why not skew to the 108 or, some, or somewhere in between that? And really that what it comes down to is uh, I know, or I shouldn't say I know there's always a chance, but like my risk of having a stomach issue for a 12 hour event at, a, at a 40 grams or 160 calories per hour is so low that I'm not necessarily doing myself any disservice by hitting 40 grams. It's not going to compromise my fat metabolism that I can, can suss out anyway by hitting those ranges as long as I'm not like having a carb heavy breakfast and starting to take carbs immediately. I think if you can kind of encourage that fat metabolism early by having a fatty protein based breakfast before the event, and then wait until you're like 45 to 60 minutes into event itself to start fueling, you kind of cut that pathway that you're going to be burning high amounts of fat. If you follow a nutrition and training plan kind of similar to mine. So I'm not really concerned about like, flipping off my fat burning switch by targeting 40 grams per hour. Um, and I'm also not really risking digestive issue by going up there. So it's like, it's the safe bet in my opinion. And that's what's worked for me. I've worked with folks who've gone lower than that. I've gone lower than that. That's part of the reason why I continue doing 40 grams. I've tried doing lower like 20, 25 grams and kind of felt like it became a little less sustainable to start pushing up to that 150, 155 beat per minute range, which is where I can typically get in a hundred mile race on average. Uh, so you know, a lot of N of one, a lot of personal experience, a lot of just like kind of like building something that works for me. Uh, so you can, you can take that with, uh, with whatever grain of salt you'd like. Uh, but that's kind of my approach and how I got to those numbers personally. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's it for today, folks. If you have any questions related to this episode, any other episodes or any questions in general, send them my way. Uh, reach out to me on social media or through the email, which can be found found in the show notes, but otherwise I'm looking forward to having some cool guests on and uh, interacting with everyone over the course of these next episodes. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.